ladies and gentlemen, welcome your nerds. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Wicca Nerd. Uh, we are celebrating the Christchurch Arts Festival, this time with an episode about holidays and festivals that may end up as a ceremony of much-loved franchises and fresh rebootings, or with someone being brutally sacrificed to the pagan god of spoilers. I'm your host, my name's Erin Harrington, and I'm joined tonight by two teams of nerds who will battle it out to see who will be celebrated in Saturnalian perpetuity and who will be subjected to ritual humiliation. Um, I'm going to get the teams to introduce themselves and also to tell me perhaps a notable festival-related memory. So over to my right, Ben Allen. Hello. Um, Yeah, I remember back in the day before we had... Uh, it was folded into the wider New Zealand Film Festival. We had a thing called the Incredibly Strange Film Festival. Mm. Um, yes, which some of you obviously have your own memories <laughs> of. And I remember going along as an innocent young man um, to one of these films called The Story of Ricky. Um, <laughs> and in the first few moments, or the first few minutes of the film, somebody gets into a prison fight, and uh, this guy falls over and lands on a piece of wood with two nails sticking out of it. And the camera just unflinchingly looks at it, and my mouth was agog. And then that character gets up with the bits of nails in the wood still sticking to his face and picks up a wood plane and planes some guy's face. And I was like, wow, I'm in a brave new world here. <laughs> it was eye-opening. It was amazing. Eye-gouging and eye-opening. Yes. Yeah? Very good. Uh, how about you, Andrew Keppel? Yes, um, I have a memory of Easter from when I was 10. It's not a particularly happy memory, but it was that we got up on Easter morning, us kids, and went out to see our little pet rabbit in the rabbit hutch to find that it had been eaten. <laughs> Possibly by a jealous Easter bunny, I don't know. Aww, yeah. that's, that's really traumatic. <laughs> Thank, thanks for those beautiful memories, yeah. um, Ben and Andrew. And what's your team name tonight? Uh, we, tonight, everyone will be called Gurning Man. Gurning Man. <laughs> yeah. And over to my left, Andrew Todd. Uh, hi, my name's Andrew. Do, <laughs> do I just go launch straight into Yeah, sure. Tomorrow? Okay, uh, so my festival memory is from uh, Fantastic Fest, ni- uh, not 19, uh, 2012. Um, and Fantastic Fest is a film festival in Austin um, that's known for its, its uh, crazy film programming, but also its crazy parties. Um, and I, it was the first party I'd ever gone to where I had to sign a waiver to get in. Um, <laughs> And uh, because they, it was a karaoke party where, t- in order to sing karaoke, they would attach, uh, they would also attach electrodes to your neck um, and periodically electrocute you while you were singing. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, I sung um, Duran Duran's Hungry Like the Wolf <laughs> while being electrocuted. Uh, Yes, that's my memory. That's my festival memory. That's a, that's a beautiful memory. How about you, Sin Chan? Hi, um, I'm Sin Chiri Chan. Um, some of you may know that I am a member of the 501st Legion Star Wars costuming group. So uh, my memory is related to that. I was um, uh, one of 200 members from around the world that was invited to march in the uh, Rose Parade over in California. Um, and it was a 20th anniversary of Star Wars. So um, uh, the event itself... Um, was quite memorable before. What, what was most memorable for me was because it was on New Year's Day, um, obviously the New Year's Eve party. Uh, we were sitting in a hotel lobby with a few 
hundred other <laughs> members of the, the group and half of the people were dressed up in Stormtrooper costumes, walking up and down, trying to make sure that their costumes weren't going to fall off the next day. <laughs> and then the other half were sort of working on bits and pieces. It was, yeah, rather interesting New Year's Eve party. Very good. And what is your team name? Uh, we are Punning of the Bulls. Very good. Mm. Punning of the Bulls, everyone. Yes. <laughs> and we are also joined in the booth by our scorekeeper, Brendan Bennett. Hello, Brendan. Oh, Erin, I'm so excited. I've been up all night. I just, just waiting. I had to set my alarm for 6am so I could get up and unwrap this episode as soon as possible. Well, I'm sorry you had to wait until half past eight in the evening, but, um, <laughs> but we're very pleased to have you here. We're going to start um, with our first round. It is called Nerd Connection. Uh, how about I go to uh, Gurning Man? We'll start with you. The question is, what connects John Bon Jovi, Colonel Sanders, and a bunch of annoying babies? <laughs> Are they all living on a prayer? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the chickens rather than Colonel Sanders that are living on a Colonel Sanders, does, does Bon Jovi have a military rank of some kind? <laughs> Secretly a former Marine or something. That would be kind of amazing. Um, <laughs> are they all from the same state? I don't know. Is Bon Jovi from Kentucky? No, know, it's, it's but but we are we are thinking of holiday and festival related oh, that's things. Cool. Oh, that's right. Yeah, how about ah, um, the theme of the episode? That's right. <laughs> how about over to you, uh, punning of the bulls? Any idea? I was going to say they're all geniuses. Uh, because of the movie Baby Geniuses, nobody has heard of. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, is it some kind of is it some kind of southern state festival like that? There's like, 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 like to celebrate like with a whole bunch of KFC. They put on Bon Jovi and then I don't know maybe they they babies. skeet shoot annoying babies or something. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. As as reasonable and realistic as that sounds, um, you're not quite right. Uh, the answer is they've all been involved in the making of novelty Christmas albums. Oh. So, uh, Kurt. Christmas with Colonel Sanders <laughs> is an album from 1969. Does I, I, I hope nobody knows anything about this no, album whatsoever. I've heard of it, but I haven't listened to it. Do, so. do you know anything about it? Um, it's not his first album. Like, didn't, didn't... <laughs> <laughs> it's his sure. dark sophomore album. <laughs> like, he really went experimental. <laughs> Colonel Sanders dropped a whole new sound on his Christmas '69 album. The, the thing uh, is, it, is it as good as Meco Minardo's uh, Star Wars Christmas album, featuring the unforgettable track "What Do You Get a Wookiee for Christmas If He Already Owns a Car"? <laughs> well, hang on, hang on. No, tell tell me a little bit more about that album because it relates to one of the other two things I asked you to connect. Oh God. I asked you to connect Annoying Babies, John Bon Jovi, Colonel Sanders. Uh, it's, a, it's a novelty album. It's a Christ, Christmas album. Christmas uh, in the Stars from Christmas 1980. Christmas in the Stars, that's the one. Um, and it's got, like, uh, C-3PO has a song. R2-D2 mm-hmm. has a song. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chewbacca has the, the most annoying song. Um, <laughs> and it's um, actually Anthony Daniels is on there. Yeah, yeah, Anthony Daniels. Because uh, he the voice is always in, no matter what it is, Anthony Daniels <laughs> is there. Yeah. <laughs> just to reprise just, his role. Like, whatever yeah. it is, just sign me up, guys. Just I'm coming on in. 
Yeah, 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 absolutely right. The album, which is called Christmas in the Stars, Star, well, colon, Star Wars Christmas album, yeah. uh, from 1980, features Star Wars-themed Christmas songs about a droid factory where a bunch of robots are making toys for one S-Claws. Um, it is also the first professional recording of John Bon Jovi, who sings the lead vocals oh, on oh, R2-D2, oh. We Wish You a Merry Christmas. No! Amazing! That is amazing! That is such a good No fact. way! That is real good. Oh. It's it's before he adopts Bon Jovi as his um yeah. his stage name and he's like Bon Jovi instead oh, of Bon Jovi. That means I have to listen to it again. <laughs> <laughs> what does that album mean for Star Wars canon? Like does that mean that, like Jesus lived in a galaxy far, far away? Yeah, like, maybe. I feel like Can as a holiday themed Star Wars thing, it probably doesn't count. Mm. So so to go back to Christmas with Colonel Sanders, it's a nineteen sixty nine album, and the thing I really like about it is that it has nothing to do with him except for the fact that it's faces on the front cover wearing a Santa hat. Uh, Instead it features just a weird variety of kind of schmoozy songs by Chet Atkins, uh, Harry Belafonte um, and Henry Mancini and his orchestra. So we're now left with um, a bunch of annoying babies. Can you tell me about a Christmas album involving a bunch of annoying babies? Uh, It's just a a standard Christmas album of Christmas carols but... um, uh, all of the all of the singers and musicians had to bring their babies along to the recording studio so you can hear them in the background while they're playing. Well, it's it's not quite right, but you're on the right track in that it's an album called Rockabye Christmas from Jingle Babies, Real Babies Sing Holiday Classics from 1997 that features just really aggravating baby noises edited together tonally oh so that it sounds like they're singing along to holiday classics such as Jingle Bells and Silent Night. Um, it comes to you from a guy called Mike Spala, who is the producer behind other Christmas hit albums by Jingle Cats and Jingle Dogs. So some of you might have heard some of the Jingle Cats ones. They were very brief flash in the pan novelty. Um, Does he live like in a remote cabin in the woods somewhere? <laughs> yeah. In case society ever finds him. <laughs> well, well, he's he probably lives in quite a nice cabin because he's made not one but four of these albums. Uh, Meowy Christmas. Oh. <laughs> Here comes Santa Claus. Oh. Rhythm and Muse. No. And the first Meow Owl. <laughs> It's not even trying. They've <laughs> been close to the right word. Uh, I, I had the misfortune this afternoon of listening to some of this on YouTube while I was at work, and I'd recommend you don't. Right. <laughs> Next question. Um, we'll go over to the punning of the bulls for this one. What connects Oreos, a bare aluminium pole, and a 6.7 metre tall man with the head of a chicken? Um, a delicious gooey centre. <laughs> <laughs> Um, tall aluminium pole. Uh, head of a chicken. Hmm. Oreos, a bare aluminium pole, and a 6.7 metre tall man with the head of a chicken. Gurning man, you're allowed to chip in. That was like a stag night. You end up glad wrapped to the pole, mm-hmm. basically. The aluminium pole is from uh, Festivus. Yes, isn't it? it is. Points oh, for that. Tell yeah. me about it. Um, so so oh, I will say these are all key components of yeah. made up holidays. So tell me about Festivus. Um, I never saw that episode of Seinfeld, was it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I so just sort of picked it up through cultural so osmosis. 
It's a non-commercial secular holiday featured in a 1997 episode of Seinfeld called The Strike. So it occurs on December the 23rd and includes a Festivus dinner, um, an unadorned aluminium Festivus pole in lieu of a Christmas tree, and practices such as the airing of grievances where you tell people how much they've disappointed you, and feats of strength such as family wrestling matches. Um, there's also the labelling of easily explainable events as Festivus miracles. Was it um, a, 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 like named for being Festivus for the rest of us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was based on, I believe it was based on the, the family traditions of one of the writers and he inserted right. it into the, into the um, episode. Families have weird traditions at Christmas. Do you have a weird family tradition, Andrew? <sighs> Probably just... Uh... Sitting around not talking to each other? <laughs> that yeah. tends to be ours, so... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, let's not talk about my family. <laughs> okay, so if we know that these are all key components of made-up holidays, how about a 6.7 metre tall man with the head of a chicken? Is that from Invader Zim or something? No, it's not, no, okay. but that is, that'd work. Is that uh, to do with the Colonel Sanders Christmas album? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe no, it's a cross between was, like, the, the Chewbacca. Yeah, the guy with the, the uh, chicken on his head was Harry Belafonte. Which is <laughs> I'm talking here about a famous roadside attraction in Los Angeles um, along historic Route 66. So September the 1st is Chicken Boy Day, and it's named for, <laughs> <laughs> it's named for the ceremonial birthday of a 22-foot-high fiberglass statue that had originally been a statue of Paul Bunyan but was repurposed. <laughs> that has <laughs> the head of a chicken and the body of a man, and instead of having his arms behind him swinging an axe, his arms are out the front holding a bucket of chicken. <laughs> and it stood on top of a fried chicken restaurant in LA from the Wait. 1960s through to 1984. So he has the head of a chicken. Yeah. And he's also holding a bucket of fried chicken. <laughs> yeah. Implying that he's some kind of cannibal? Only half some a cannibal. Some kind of like uh, dog number row. Like, yeah. uh, <laughs> why does he get his own day? How did he get his own yeah. day? Why does anyone get any? Well, <laughs> are there any details about what the festival involves? No, like, it's it like... just that it's kind of his ceremonial birthday. So I presume right. it was associated oh. with the fried chicken restaurant to start off with. Yeah. But it's become like this pop culture symbol. Um, so, for instance, can you, can you tell me what Arnold Schwarzenegger did with this massive fiberglass statue of a man with a chicken head? He fought it and won. <laughs> <laughs> the mind boggles. <laughs> Well, in his role as governor, he um, <laughs> awarded it the Governor's oh. Historic Preservation Award in 2010. Did he have to like? Did he have to like? They have to like make a giant medal to like hang around. <laughs> we can only hope so. Um, how about Oreos? How about Oreos be involved in a fake holiday? They can be involved in real holidays too, <laughs> and have been regularly. I'm not trying to discriminate against real Oreo holidays. What I can tell you is that National Oreo Cookie Day is March the 6th. It was invented by a man called John Brian Hopkins, who is a food writer from Birmingham, Alabama. And, and also the founder of a famous me- uh, medical school. <laughs> yeah. uh. He um, founded a website called Foodimentary, um, and he's created hundreds and hundreds of food-related holidays. What? So that there is at least one food-related holiday for every day of the year. When we say holiday, yeah. I sense that you don't get a day off work for National <laughs> Oreo Cookie Day. Well, you might for National Tater Tots Day, uh. or We Love Food Day, or Fruit Loop Day, or even Onion Ring Day. Oh, what you might like to know is that when he uh, 
allocated National Oreo Cookie Day to March the 6th. He did so by knocking off National Frozen Food Day. It's my son's birthday, March the 6th. I'm going to go home and tell him we're going to have Oreo cookies next year for his birthday. It's very good. Um, I read an interview with him in Time magazine uh, where he said, (laughs) from time to time he gets rid of some holiday that just doesn't get him excited and replaces it with one that's more appealing. They're just like my little children, he said, of the holidays he creates. I might wake up a little groggy one morning and decide I don't like what's being celebrated that day, so I make a new one. Is this just some guy just sitting at home going, like, oh, today it's going to be the, the string bean day. <laughs> Pretty much. Because <laughs> oh, we just went past, last week or the week before, was International Waffle Day. I wonder if that was one of his. Yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. Like, what, like, what, how does he, how does he kind of uh, set them in, in yeah, practice? Yeah, how does he officiate them? Um, I, I don't know, but you can tweet him at, at Foodimentary. I mean, you where... can tweet me. <laughs> <laughs> but it, doesn't you? At Yeah, at foodimentary. And, and every day he puts up an image with regards to whatever food day it was. So yesterday was Cheese Pizza Day, which is uh, um, what uh, Kevin McAllister in Home Alone would be very happy about. Uh, what's today? What's today's food day? Better be better than Cheese Pizza Pineapple on Pizza Day. Uh, <laughs> Not many fans of that here. Uh, chicken Salt Day. <laughs> Might as well be. Um, National Coffee Ice Cream Day. So getting, so getting nice and specific. Are there what? any foods? Oh no, did you have a question, Andrew? Just the obvious one. Oh, it's not that obvious. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't actually have a question. Just <laughs> <laughs> like, why? Are there, are there any foods that you think deserve to have their own festival or holiday? Gherkins. Gherkins. Um, oh. I mean, burritos. Definitely need their own day, but they kind of need every day. National, uh, the bit of cheese left stuck to the pizza box after you eat the pizza. <laughs> you can you can have a point for that. I can get on board with that. Um, so I spent a lot of time on the internet preparing this episode, which is always dangerous. Um, and I ended up on lots of weird websites that let you port. Um, mysterious holidays into online calendars and so on. And so I found a whole bunch of other festivals and holidays, um, including Men Make Dinner Day on November the 5th, uh, Buy Nothing Day, which is actually um, a part of an anti-commercial pushback against Thanksgiving sales like Black Friday, Mm. was instigated by Adbusters, which is a Canadian group, Um, One Hit Wonder Day. So you can only get rickrolled once a year on uh, September the 25th, maybe. Um, I Love My Feet Day, which is uh, August 17th. Uh, as, a, as a horror fan, I quite liked Chucky Day, which is celebrating the doll from Child's Play. <laughs> and Pretend to be a Time Traveller Day. Oh, that one's great. Yeah. Not yeah, that I've good. taken part in it in this or any other year, <laughs> past or future. One of, one of the weirdest websites, though, was um, Holiday Insights. And I'm pretty sure people were just submitting random shit that they'd made up. Not that the rest of this isn't random shit that people had made up. Well, um, we're coming up. At time of recording, talk like a pirate day in about a week and a half. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's a fake holiday we can Mm -hmm. get behind, maybe. Um, So I came across uh, Lumpy Rug Day. (laughs) Lumpy Rug Day is intended to appreciate a good rug. A rug should be smooth, even, and definitely not lumpy. And it goes on and on and on and on. Um, If you have a lumpy rug, toss it out and get a nice lumpless rug and so on. (laughs) And down down in very small text at the bottom, our research did not find the creator or origin of this day. Mm. What would your bullshit holiday be? 
Ben Allen Appreciation Day. <laughs> oh, but every day is Ben Allen Appreciation There are a lot of Ben Allens, though. Yes. There are. Oh, yeah. It's true. I get all of their emails. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the end of that round. So um, how about we go to Brendan for the scores? Well, Gurning Man are doing well on five points, but we might have to rename this Punning of the Bulls Day because they're ahead on six points. Oh, Very good. So I have asked the nerds to do some homework. And what I've asked them to do is to review a festival. And that can be a review of their choice, of a festival of their choice. Uh, so how about we start with um, let's start with you, Andrew Keppel. And I'll put you up against Andrew Todd. <clears throat> Don't worry. I'll, this is nice and positive this time. While some festivals are confined to just one city... Others are celebrated by wider communities and may go beyond international borders, uniting separate countries in shared celebration. But there is one festival of such significance and grandeur that for countless centuries it has transcended even the space between planets and beyond. Indeed, this festival, my personal favourite, is known throughout galaxies both nearby and far, far away as Life Day. Life Day is a day of peace and a day of harmony is a day of joy we can all share together joyously. And I was fortunate enough to joyously share a recent Life Day celebration on planet Kazook. Did I say that right? Where Wookiees and other humanoids were seen engaging in all the wholesome activities associated with the festival. Why, there were... Holograms of people juggling to keep the kids busy. (laughs) Jefferson Starship music videos for the entertainment of everyone, even the Empire's minions who don't get the day off. And, of course, for the grandparents. While there was the traditional virtual reality adult entertainment, a fine tradition, (laughs) the mysterious origins of which this reviewer will not be questioning. And who could forget the offering of the sacrificial stormtroopers, which consists of hurling them from a great height to their doom. To be clear, this is not a punishment for any old bystander who chooses not to celebrate Life Day, but rather a loving, inclusive ceremony that accommodates those who observe Life Day by actively opposing it and validates these people's unique perspectives in a ritual befitting their degree of respect for life itself. And maybe... It was the extra effort that went into organising the lighting and special effects this time, or maybe it was due to intervention by the force itself. Or maybe it was something to do with the accessibility of cocaine on set, but the traditional performance (laughs) of the Life Day song. um, It seemed more infectious than usual. So in conclusion, I normally consider Life Day a five out of five star event, and the celebration that I experienced this time is no exception. Life Day is a festival that should be shared with all galaxies in every corner of the known universe. And it's just such a shame that it's not yet a major festival on our planet. However, I believe that if we find the right ambassador to properly bring Life Day to all the people of Earth, well, it could really catch on here. All we need is a talented artist of great vision which they could bring to the production of a television special authentically depicting Life Day in all its glory so that we might share this event with millions of viewers around the world, ideally on a popular holiday when people often watch television. It would be a thing of beauty, a work of art that brings promise that one day we'll be free to live, to laugh, to dream, to grow, to trust, to love, to be. Okay, that's, that's very uplifting. Yeah. It's very good. I would just like to say before we continue that there are maybe viewers or listeners out there that have not 
seen the Star Wars Holiday Special and have heard a lot about it and are thinking to themselves, should I look this up and watch it and satisfy my curiosity? And my advice to them is no. No, I envy those people. They're the lucky ones. Do not do that. I know you're thinking, how bad can it be? It will make Star Wars worse for you. Don't watch it. Please. This has been a public health Okay. Cautionary words. Okay, over to you, Andrew Todd. Um, so I'm a video game reviewer. Uh, so I wrote a, a video game review of um, the 800-pound gorilla of, um, of festivals. Uh, Christmas 2K17. <laughs> Here we are with a new installment in the most miserable annualized franchise in the industry. By now, we've been trained that the holiday season is Christmas season, And thanks to the largest marketing machine in the world, we all rush out year after year to take part in the latest installment. But this series, now in its 2017th incarnation, unless you count the separately developed mid-year spin-offs, is beyond tired. The change in protagonist from Middle Eastern Jesus to Solid Santa, yet another grizzled bearded white man, may have paid off in sales, but the sheer number of abilities the guy has amassed by now is really straining credibility at at his age. What's more... The core gameplay mechanic hasn't been expanded upon in decades, and even the addition of Rudolph to the team roster didn't do much to change things up. He's not even a romanceable character. (laughs) If you want to add more players to the game, you still have to purchase expansion packs for each additional player, a baffling decision in 33 AD and a baffling decision now. Worst of all, though, the loot drops have become seriously less rewarding since I started into the series. Where once loot boxes would shower the player with goodies and power-ups, now they only yield basic cosmetic items. <laughs> Hardly an incentive to keep coming back year after year. Yet come back we do, and with simultaneous player counts still numbering in the billions, the Christmas franchise shows no signs of slowing. I just wish the developers would add a mute function so I didn't have to hear preteen trolls singing carols into their headset every December like clockwork. <laughs> it's unbearable. All that aside, though, the graphics have seen another improvement this year, and frame rates still run at a buttery smooth 60 frames per second, making Christmas as an I- ideal a showpiece as ever, if you can afford the hardware. 7 out of 10. So, um, I'm, I'm going to go with Andrew Todd's Christmas review here, partly mm. because... It really spoke to me, but also because it didn't remind me of a cultural horror that I'm now going to have to scrub from my brain with a stilo pad when I get home. Oh, you're so, welcome. Yeah, thank you. It's great. It also sounded just like one of his actual game reviews. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's working from a template. Aren't we all? Right, the second round is called Where's My Parade? Um, so, do you know much about the the origins of carnival, like the the Middle Ages Renaissance type carnival at all? Maybe. Um, yes, the right answer. <laughs> so, it was a medieval f- sort of festival where, for one day a year, they had a pressure valve in society by saying, "Hey, everybody, go crazy for a day, and all the people that are beggars can pretend to be lords, and all the lords can pretend to be beggars." And that way, you get this one day that you will look forward to, and this hopefully don't rise up in peasants' revolt during the rest of the year. It's the purge, right? Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) it's the purge, kind of. Um, You're you're close enough that I'll give you a bunch of points for that. So, um, 
yes, it is a time of celebration, of like the inversion of social structures, things go topsy-turvy, fool might be king for a day and so on, but it could be weeks, it might have been weeks and weeks, so the lead-up to Lent, uh, which particularly during the Renaissance could even be up to kind of two months of getting wasted and having parades, which sounds kind of all right, um, so... We have this kind of idea that there's the driving out of winter spirits, there's, you know, masks and parades and street parties, the slaughter of animals and the eating of meat, so carnival. So the idea that um, you might kill all your excess stock before they're being stable for winter and and have a meat frenzy and so on and so forth. Mm. Uh, Mardi Gras, Fat Tuesday, that's where we get that from too. So Christmas in the park, that's what we call it. Maybe we should apply the purge to Christmas in the park. Um, So what I'd like you to do is, is to think about being maybe social anthropologists from the future looking back on festivals past and telling us a little bit about some of the um, maybe some of the ways that we celebrated a bunch of the different types of festivals that I'm going to give you. So it could be to do with things, you know, like parades or things people did together or things we might eat and so on and so forth. Um, You can ding in for this if you like. I know you've got some little bells in front of you. So tell me... (laughs) (laughs) Little bells Little bells, silver bells Um, So how about you tell me About some of the ways that we might celebrate The New Hope Festival The festival that celebrated the release of Star Wars In 1977 Uh, Well the Star Wars Festival uh, The tradition is involved right now what we do uh, to celebrate the Star Wars Festival every year is we sacrifice another director <laughs> on, the, on the altar of <laughs> Lucasfilm, and uh, then we get another willing victim to come yeah, forward. Very good. And uh, yeah, until we find one that does what we want. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, the, the the festival, of course, begins with um, uh, a bath in, um, in 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 garbage. Mm-hmm. Um, prefer- preferably with, uh, with, with serpent-like animals also inside um, to, to symbolize the, the, the struggle that um, uh, the, the central figures of the festival went through um, at the heart of the Death Star. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one that uh, wasn't that popular was the burning of the homestead um, <laughs> part of the festival, which um, obviously involved yeah, sacrifice and stuff, so they cut that one pretty... Mm. Yeah. Pretty quickly. Yeah. It's t- it tags in a lot of Christmas traditions as well. Like Santa still comes by and delivers a present um, down your chimney, but he flies past and he's got he's got to turn off his targeting computer to hit the top of your chimney, which is a very small target, <laughs> in order to get the package down there and uh, to get it to land at the bottom. It's, uh, co-ops a lot of Christmas traditions. Yeah, good. How about... Oh, no, yes. And um, I particularly like the, the interesting food that was eaten for this, mm-hmm. which was usually roast bantha with a bit of blue milk on the side was <laughs> normally what people would eat. Very good. Very very comprehensive. I'm very happy about that. How about the chest burster festival, the alien <laughs> festival? Well, it involves a lot of eating to, to start with. Yeah. Um, obviously, yeah, because you're so hungry. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously it leads to something... Not so pleasant. Um, uh, specifically, uh, the, the traditional feast um, eaten in the Chestburster Festival is, uh, is an omelette made of uh, fertilised eggs mm-hmm. um, with, uh, with, with fetuses cooked inside. Um, so, uh, so as, again, to, um, uh, to represent the, the, in, the intake of uh, the xenomorph. Mm-hmm. Uh, Good. Yeah. 
just as many families would get together at Christmas and get around the piano and, and play songs and sing carols. In the Alien Festival, everybody gathers around. Like they all have a recorder and they're wearing a mask of Michael Fassbender. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they just all play recorder songs and talk about fingering. That is, that is my least favourite part of that festival, yep. Um, it all, of course, uh, comes to a big climax where they have... Uh, a huge, um, a huge, like wooden effigy of the xenomorph, and um, all the people from the village will will, will come around, and they'll all have flamethrowers, uh, and so they all kind of ritualistically um, fire their flamethrowers at the xenomorph. Um, I'd just like to say that the recorder part was actually a later tradition that was added by sort of religious fundamentalists on top of the original pagan celebration. Oh. It just sort of impurifies it a bit. I just thought I should um, make that distinction there. Very good. Very complex. Um, <laughs> how, how about The Beginning, which is a festival that celebrates The Simpsons reaching its thousandth episode? It's a very cromulent <laughs> festival. <laughs> Extremely cromulent. Uh, basically, everybody gets the, uh, their hair cut fashioned into uh, basically geometric shapes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one thing you can do. Yeah. Also, the Tower of Hair is quite a popular one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's a festival that curiously doesn't have uh, any kind of public gatherings of any sort because it is traditionally celebrated um, upon the family couch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and no one's sure when it finishes. It just keeps going and going. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's like, is it time for the festival to end? And, just, and then it gets like another two years. And yeah. uh, My favourite part is the way that... Every um, embiggening, we talk about how much better previous embiggenings were. That's right. As well. <laughs> it's very nostalgic. Yeah, yeah it is nostalgic a nostalgic festival. festival. Yeah. Okay, how about the AI AOK Festival, which is a festival that celebrates Skynet going live on August 4th, 1997. Well, you've got to love the fireworks. You can yeah. see them everywhere. <laughs> um, it's, uh, you, you can always tell when it's, when it's getting to AI AOK season because... Um, you see people, instead of waving at each other, they'll just give each other a nice, friendly thumbs up. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I believe it's traditionally celebrated uh, without fanfare when a one turns into a zero in a mainframe uh, and nobody observes it because emotion is dead. That's true. It's <laughs> <laughs> true. How about, um, how are we going? Uh, I'll give you two more. Um, a Ren and Stimpy Festival. Oh. A lot of ice cream bars mm-hmm. consumed. Beloved ice cream bars. Yeah. That's my one reference. <laughs> <laughs> and people I'd have to try and take them from each other, don't that's they? Right. Yeah. Um, plenty of powdered toast as well. Yep, that's good. And um, people dressed up like horses. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's true. Lots of shaving yaks, I believe, is a popular <laughs> ceremony. Mm. And the sharing of the magic nose goblins. That's, that's my favourite part of it as well. Um, final one, um, the Ice and Fire Festival, which celebrates the coupling of Daenerys Targaryen and Jon Snow. <laughs> hmm. So the festival begins when working f- uh, when, uh, uh, when uh, child protection services <laughs> arrive at the house. And ask certain questions of the uh, relationships that have been taking place. And uh, it normally ends up with one party being taken away to protective custody of a new life in a more supportive family. 
Um, it is the it is of course the one day of the year where um, where all incest laws are rendered uh, uh, moot, and so if you if you do want to sleep with your aunt um, or your nephew um, specifically, then that is not only uh, okay but in fact encouraged. But you have to do it on a boat. Yes, yeah. the rule. <laughs> Always on the <laughs> What happens at sea stays at sea. It's, the, it's, it's a it's festival of international that's, waters. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And the other thing is that, and the problem with it is that, you know, the next festival isn't for another two years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so frustrating. Okay, very, very good. Um, over to you, Brendan. How have they scored in that round? Well, the punning of the bulls are on 18 points. Gurning Man is just ahead on 19 points. Very glad it's a close match. This next round, round three, is called Twas the Night Before Hog's Watch. Points for telling me what Hog's Watch is. Uh, it's the Discworld equivalent of Christmas. Yes, absolutely. Celebrating the winter solstice and the new year. Uh, presided over by the Hogfather, uh, Scary Santa Claus with tusks. Um, so it's a fictional festival, but it's kind of like a real fictional festival, um, as opposed to a <laughs> fake, fake festival. <laughs> <laughs> so I've made a big long list of fictional festivals and holidays, most of which have ended up being from television series. I'm going to name the holiday or day or festival, and I want you to ding in if you know what it is or where it comes from. Colonial Day. Is from Battlestar Galactica? Correct. Uh, so it commemorates the signing of the Articles of Colonisation. Yeah, it does. Which incorporated the 12 colonies of man and woman during the First Cylon War. Yep. Uh, Federation I Day. I knew all of those details. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to say that it's from Star Trek. Yes, absolutely. I uh, know, it was, that was great because Andrew wasn't paying attention. Right now, <laughs> right now he is kicking himself that he didn't yeah. get it. Very good. Um, Robanica. Uh, from Futurama, celebrated by robots. Yes, Robot Hanukkah. Except it's not, it's not celebrated by robots. Oh, it's made up by yeah. yeah, He makes it up so yeah, that he doesn't have right. to go to work. Um, <laughs> whacking day. <laughs> Um, you got there oh, first, okay. and you do it. The, uh, on the Simpsons, Springfield celebration involving killing snakes. Very good. Mary what? I love the sexy slither of a lady <laughs> snake. <laughs> <laughs> they drive snakes into the town square, then club them to death. Uh, bend aid. Was that a team up between Beck and Bender in Futurama? It absolutely is. <laughs> yes. Points for that. It's a benefit concert to help raise funds for broken robots. Yeah. Um, it features the head of Beck and a throwback modern hybrid of Cylon and Garfunkel. <laughs> uh, weasel Stomping Day. It's a Weird Al Yankovic song about exactly what you'd expect it to be. Yes, very good. It is, an al- it is a song from his album Straight Outta Linwoods. Uh, Hurling Day. Um, um, oh, uh, from the dinosaurs sitcom, you hurl your elderly relatives <laughs> off the cliff. Yeah. We are in Andrew's wheelhouse. <laughs> yes! <laughs> That's correct. It's a holiday. <laughs> It's a holiday with a so convoluted a backstory that all I wrote was with a convoluted backstory from Jim Henson's Dinosaurs. Um, can you tell me any other holidays from that show, seeing as it's... I don't know. I only heard about that one recently, actually. It's funny. Because <laughs> you know. um, I also had Refrigerator Day, which was an analogue for Christmas and mm. dinosaurs. Uh, Festival of the Bells. Oh. It was quite a cute one. Feels like that's a real festival. 
It's not one of the numerous things they have in Gormenghast. <laughs> no, but it is kind of fantastic. It's um, it's from the Fraggles. Uh, oh, see, I told you it was nice. Uh, the Fraggles dance the dust of the Weber Beast, uh, exchange the gifts of pebbles, and ring small bells in order to recharge the great bell. Um, and it also appears in a Muppet Family Christmas. Um, how about Scotch Toberfest? That's a made-up one. You tricked Willie into believing it. You used me, Skinner. You used me. <laughs> There is no Scotch Toberfest. Uh, Five points. Very good. Um, what else do I have here? Oh, this is kind of, this is a tricksy one. Leif Erikson Day. Oh, that's an actual holiday, yep. but it's best known for Spongebob celebrating <laughs> it, where he just says, Jürgen, and they're dangin, and talks like a Swede all day. So. You, are, you are 100% correct. <laughs> It's an actual holiday honouring Norse explorer um, Leif Eriksson, uh, who was meant to have brought the first Europeans to North America circa 1000 BCE. Um, but yeah, SpongeBob celebrates it wearing a horned helmet and a fake red beard. Uh, <laughs> one, <laughs> if I'd known that you were this good at this, I might have done everything. Else. I know I learned from cartoons and sitcoms. Very good. Well, you'll get this one too. Chef Aid. Oh. I just think because I didn't want to get it. Uh, it's, from, uh, it's from South Park, um, and there was, there was even an album attached to it. It is, uh, correct. Yes. Correct, correct, correct. Lots, lots of bands on it, like Primus. Yep, Primus, who are on all the South Park albums. Yeah, yep. yep, very good. Um, yes, South Park chef uh, gets into legal chef. trouble over plagiarism, a dispute with Alanis Morissette. Uh, and all these people come to perform a benefit concert, including Meatloaf, Elton John, various mm. other people. Follow-up question to that. What is the connection between this fake festival, Star Wars, and the O.J. Simpson case? You mean, when you say this fake festival, you mean... Chef, Chef Aid. Aid. Yep. Star Wars and the O.J. Simpson case. Mm. Um, Only one black person. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Okay. Is it the person that um, voiced the chef? No, it's no? not. Uh, it's, it's a piece it of legal terminology. Um, Oh, well, it's the uh, Chewbacca defence, isn't it? <laughs> Sorry. It is the Chewbacca defence. Yeah. So the Chewbacca defence is another name for the red herring fallacy, which is when the aim of the argument is to deliberately confuse the jury by presenting large amounts of irrelevant information and not refute the case on the other side, and by doing so, uh, disguising an immense flaw in the argument. So, so can you tell me what happens in this episode that leads to this... Maybe Andrew Todd, since since you swore so prodigiously just before. Um, I just I just remember the the uh, I can't remember the, how the but how it got worked out. But the the summary was if Chewbacca lives on Endor, you must yeah. you must acquit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the set. It's like, it's like if the glove does if the glove. Don't, Don't fit. fit. You must have quit. Yeah. So the episode satirises Johnny Cochran, the attorney, and his closing argument of the O.J. Simpson uh, murder trial. And as you say, he uh, <laughs> has this very convoluted um, argument over over Chewbacca and well, whether the or not is, Chewbacca in doesn't live on Andor. But that's the point. <laughs> so you must have quit. That's you the ridiculous piece of disinformation in the middle of it that gets uh, hidden by all the, the flailing around. So he goes on to point out that the first supposed senselessness of the decision, make, noting that it does not make sense, and then how his use of Star Wars as evidence in a harassment suit does not make sense either, and that therefore the case should be dismissed. 
Andrew. I finally found an excuse to to correct uh, Andrew's pronunciation mm-hmm. from earlier. <laughs> I can tell you where Chewbacca does live. Cause she yeah. very good. She can have points for that too. But you can also have points, Andrew, for um, if Chewbacca lives on Endor, you must acquit because that's the exact quote. Oh, so that's very lucky. good, very good. Any fictional holidays that that any of you like or particularly remember? Ah, uh, no. Okay. <laughs> so um, the next round is another homework round. Uh, the reviewing of a festival. How about? We go to uh, Sin. Mark, to you. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So I decided to uh, review Easter uh, from the point of view of a visual arts critic. I had pretty high expectations of this exhibition. After all, it had been over 2,000 years in the making. Yeah. It is advertised as a visual cacophony of symbolism and vibrance. However, my first impression was that there is little that links the individual pieces together. Given the variety of works in different media, there were definitely some individual standouts. Cadbury's Egg with Chocolate Treat Inside is an (laughs) awkward yet inviting representation of food encapsulating more food. (laughs) It challenged viewers in many ways, but first and foremost with the question, how did they get it in there and seal up the egg again? Easter Trading Hours is an interactive installation. (laughs) (laughs) Gives us an opportunity to engage in other activities such as mowing lawns, cleaning barbecues and spending time with family. I found this experience rather relaxing, but I can also see how others may find it equally stressful. Hot cross bun without the fruity bits. (laughs) Now, in my view, this was one of the most controversial pieces (laughs) <laughs> Challenge is an age-old tradition, but still seem to be very popular with many people. I came along to Fluffy Bunny. Now, this presents a playful sculpture which would appeal to both children as well as greyhounds. Inclusion, <laughs> inclusion of a basket full of miniature eggs has given an inanimate object a quirky personality and suggests that the bunny owns one or more chickens. Can an animal actually own chickens? So many questions. A huge wooden cross is the untitled centrepiece of the show. If the artist's aim was to create a stimulating and provocative artwork, they certainly nailed it. Overall, the exhibition was enjoyable and has something for everyone. It presents as a family show, but can confuse with its mixed messages. I struggled throughout whether religion or commercialism had the strongest undertone. When a collection is curated under such circumstances, the public response can be varied. For me personally, I came away with it with a hankering for chocolate. I too am a fan of food encapsulating more food. <laughs> um, over to you, Ben. Yes, I uh, have written a completely typical music review uh, for the uh, Christchurch South Intermediate School Orchestra's performance at the South Christchurch Schools Music Festival last year. <laughs> Remember when the announcement of a new gig from the Christchurch South Intermediate School Orchestra was cause for genuine excitement? (laughs) You might remember when this was a group that was all about the music as well. 
But to think about those days is to travel back in time to the pure Alina sound that was the group's trademark. Back when they cut their teeth playing tight gigs for a dedicated audience of genuine fans and the odd detention kit at lunchtimes in a series of small venues around the music and arts block. <laughs> Sadly, their recent date at the Christchurch South Schools Music Festival proves that the group is virtually gone and all that remains of it is a, solo, a hollow soulless corpse shambling around on the stage in a mockery of all that was once great about this formerly tight-knit 43-piece. <laughs> Fans that were concerned when secret MVP second flute Tim Saunders controversially departed the group when rehearsals began to clash with his karate lessons were right to worry. The loss of his hard-charging, grungy flute riffs puts a hole in the group's heart that they can't heal. No matter how hard they try to cover it with fussy, clumsy overproduction from long-time backroom wizard... Mrs. McKenzie. <laughs> this cookie-cutter, crowd-pleasing new sound might have played well to most of the clueless, slack-jawed audience of casual fans and parents of group members at the Aurora Centre, but if you'd looked around the venue, you'd seen of a few hard faces from the real, knowledgeable and, frankly, better-than-new fans. Fans who used to think nothing of scheduling a week around being able to catch Millie Davidson doing her clarinet scales or arriving at the school hall before a gig just so they could help Stephen's dad unload the timpani. Like me, those fans were probably wondering where a once great band had gone. There was certainly no sign of them amongst the lifeless, almost dead-eyed performances on show. French horn fingersmith Denise Chang, here making her first public appearance after her parents got her to stop drinking Diet Coke, has <laughs> been rightly celebrated for the wild, anarchic energy of her previous output, her devil-may-care approach to embouchure, a defiant snook-cocking in the hangdog, vampiric face of the industry establishment that recalled a young Hendrix. But <laughs> if the button-down, passionless Chang that clearly didn't even have enough monthly minutes left to even phone it in at the Aurora Centre is the version we'll be getting from now, let's all hope she gets back on the junk. <laughs> It's almost pointless to continue, but I will. <laughs> As history shows us that every great fool deserves a noble chronicler with the taste, knowledge and insight enough to rightfully explain to people what they should like. <laughs> I literally harumphed as the orchestra moved into their second and final number, a tired cover of Hedwig's theme from Harry Potter. <laughs> the kind of listless rendition that would have been enough to make the eponymous fictional owl glad she was dead. <laughs> Here, Mrs. McKenzie's overly liberty-taking producer's hands, grimy over everything, were once a blessing, as her omission of a repeated passage mercifully, mercifully served to make this tepid reheat of a consistently overrated work of John Williams that much shorter. Where to now for this once promising ensemble after this credibility-ending debacle? <laughs> Doubtless the idiot masses will continue to lap up their output for a concert or two yet, but internal division seems more likely to spell their end, as is every sign that at least some members are fully aware of the musical joke they've become. At one point, I observed formerly electric second cello Simon Jones lose interest in playing altogether, although it's possible that he had merely lost count of the 28 bars rest he had at that particular point. <laughs> <laughs> Who wins here? Not music, not Simon Jones, not Denise Chang, not music again, not the feckless public too clueless to know what's good for it, eager to suck up whatever semi-melodic, non-challenging slurry they're served through the straw of ignorance. I'll tell you who wins. The school music industry getting fat on the teeth of tens of dollars worth of ticket sales <laughs> while true artistry dies unloved and underappreciated like the little match girl on the snowy city streets. How I hate them! I hate their nakedly commercial imperatives. I hate the public who mindlessly fill their trough. I hate it all like I hate myself. 
three stars. <laughs> <laughs> nothing like pouring vitriol on 11-year-olds. So, <laughs> so, so, Ben, I'm giving that one to you. Um, over to you, oh. Brendan. Where are we up to? Well, the punning of the bulls are on 24 points, but Gurning Man have certainly managed to wipe that stupid look from their face. <laughs> They're on 37 points. Oh. Oh. It's a, it's a good thing, then, that this final round, a debate round, is worth 15 points. Um, so, punning of the bulls, you're, you're behind, so I'm going to give you an advantage. Would you like to debate uh, for or against the moot? Which I'll tell you in a minute. <laughs> is there really an advantage? I'm, I'm going to give you the semblance of an advantage. Do you want to go, go yay or nay? Against? Uh, sure, we'll go nay. Okay, you're going to go nay. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the moot of this debate is we should cancel Christmas. Gurning Man, you are in the affirmative. Uh, I'm going to get you to each uh, give us a bit of a spiel in terms of your argument. You'll have a very quick rebuttal and then a sentence to uh, wind up. So over to you, Gurning Man. Look, it's 2017. Uh, and Christmas is outdated. It's outdated. It's not relevant to people anymore. And it's, it's just more hassle than it's worth, I think. Think of the sheer amount of money we all spend. Think of the family stress. Think of my dad playing football, soccer, and concussing himself when he runs into my cousin, charging through, not looking where he was going. All of these problems could be avoided if we just got rid of Christmas entirely. Yes, I agree. Um, we get enough of these trials throughout the year, and having them on Christmas as well just magnifies everything into proportions that are nothing to do with spending a nice, relaxing holiday as Christmas was intended to be. Let's think about what Jesus would think. Because, <laughs> because I, think, I think I'm not, I'm comfortable stepping into the mind of Jesus, and I think I can speak for Jesus when I would say that he would not like what Christmas has become, this commercial imperative where we all have to line up, we get ourselves stuck at the mall at 9.47pm on a Christmas Eve, trying to find some gift for Uncle Dave and ending up with a pair of socks with a novelty reindeer on them. That's not what Jesus would want. Jesus would want, you know, some Christian stuff. <laughs> that's, and, and that's your minute. So, so over to the punning of the bulls. We should not cancel Christmas. You've got a minute. Go. <clears throat> Certainly not. Um, let's think about the Christmas ornament, in the Christmas tree ornament industry for a starter. It's a multi-billion dollar industry <laughs> around the world. Um, and to cut that, to cancel Christmas would mean that... Think of the jobs that would be lost. Yeah. Jobs. Uh, you know, people putting together, uh, putting together baubles. Um, <laughs> uh, sewing, knitting Christmas sweaters. Um, I think... To me, um, cancelling Christmas, it presents us with uh, it's kind of an existential evolutionary question. Because in our society today, um, we're pretty much, pretty much we don't have to, well, certainly in, in, in uh, sort of first world Western society, we don't have to deal with um, survival instinct. Um, our lives are pretty much, pretty much fine. Uh, we can usually feed ourselves. Got teen um, and, uh, and so, so what, Christmas is, what Christmas is, it reintroduces stress um, so, that, so that we can, we can get back to our roots 
um, as trying to survive. Uh, and this is that's exactly where those awkward and and horrific family get-togethers come in. Um, yeah. They exist to keep us on our evolutionary a, a toes. Survivalist Christmas, good, good. Okay, so you've got um, maybe. 30 to 45 seconds for rebuttal. Right. Well, you talk about taking away decorations and cheer and all this kind of thing. I think that Christmas hogs all that. And if we got rid of Christmas, that would be spread out more equally among all the other holidays throughout the year. And we'd really see things come in more manageable chunks as well. So there wouldn't be a loss of all these industries and boons from Christmas. They'd just go into the other That's holidays. right. The people that have... You know, talk about the loss of the billion-dollar Christmas ornament industry. All those people and their experience and manufacturing easily shatterable plastic crap could transfer directly into consumer electronics with no loss of jobs whatsoever. That's right. No loss of jobs. How are you going to rebut that? I'm just going to go back to Andrew's point about, you know, balancing out with the other uh, festivals around uh, other parts of the year because I I don't think we need more uh, Easter eggs at Easter, for example. I don't think that, you know, that cancelling Christmas is obviously going to um, create a a huge influx of, of, you know... Um, and other holidays. What we really need to do is to concentrate all the cheer into Christmas, um, uh, because uh, much like much like with wealth, um, if we give all of the joy to this one holiday, it will eventually trickle down <laughs> into the uh, into the rest of the days of the year. Um, and you know, we should we should just uh, we should just let the the free holiday uh, do its do its job. Right. So we've had um, two lots of very stringent economic uh, arguments for and against Christmas. Can you give us a quick Ten-second, maybe final pithy line. I think the great Charles Dickens wrote it best when he said, "Bar humbug," <laughs> which I assume was the moral of the story. I just <laughs> stopped reading at that point because it was so right. <laughs> Could we do without Home Alone on Christmas Eve? Yeah. No. <laughs> <Or maybe. laughs> we rest our case. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, I don't. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a Christmas economist. I'm not really um, equipped, and neither are they. <laughs> um, I'm not really equipped to uh, decide this debate, so I'm handing it over to you, uh, the audience. Uh, should we cancel Christmas? Who was sorry? Who was for and against? <laughs> See why you're confused. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So. Trickle-down Christmas economics? Sensible. Or bar humbug and be done with it. I'm going to give that one over to Gurning Man. Um, so while Brendan... A victory uh, t- for joy. <laughs> <laughs> so while Brendan tallies up the scores, um, I'd like to thank you, the audience, for coming along tonight. Uh, thank the listeners at home for listening today. Uh, if you'd like to come and see us in person, if you're listening at the moment, we uh, record on the first Wednesday of every month at Orange Studios in Ferrymead, who are wonderful hosts. You can also find us on Facebook, on Twitter, on iTunes, and now on Stitcher, which is another uh, podcast app, which is certainly my favourite one. Um, Over to you, Brendan. Who is the winner and who suffers ritual defeat? Well, the punning of the bulls, they made a strong start, but they ended up getting trampled under the hooves of Gurning Man, whose all their Christmases have come at once. (laughs) Gurning Man. That's all we have time for tonight. Congratulations to Gurning Man and good night. Yeah. Yeah.